Is this thing on? Please hang up and try your call again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, again, live at the nexus, the nexus of pop culture and Sherry Road, the most profoundly uh, amazing and, I'm going to say, eclectic thoroughfare in all of North America. Recently voted by the Johnsonian student newspaper as the number one podcast of being hosted by an alumni and a non-alumni of Winthrop University. (laughs) Uh, I remember that poll when it was taken. It is really highly controversial. Yeah. yeah, and you know, but that's that's what we do here in the Nexus. We 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 grab controversy by the horns, and you know we just have our way with it. That's what we do. So, you know, tonight's continued controversial topic of concerts that we went to as kids. I believe you left us off with the Oak Ridge Boys, Springsteen, Rick Springfield until Tuesday, The Who, Iron Maiden, and Twisted Sister, Kiss, No Makeup, Crocus, and Men at Work. Yeah, I believe it's it was something uh, along those lines. And so, uh, but you know, I, I don't know that we even completed the '80s for you. I think we did. I think I just had gotten out of the '80s. And we talked about my experience. Uh, yeah, because I got into talking about Paul McCartney. I think that was 90. Okay. There was, there was a good bit in there that I had uh, some good fun uh, on the re-listen uh, regarding uh, Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> and just the conflicting feelings that you had uh, related to him Uh between being one of the best concerts ever and the now the what we would call the low bar of concerts yeah it really it really is a it's a strange uh paradox of concerts one that was Mm -hmm. just terrific where he gave everything he had with his hits and 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 played to a small college crowd in bloomsburg pennsylvania and i think it was 99 pair that against the uppity crowd at the Fundraiser in Atlanta of 2002 or three. Not so great. So there were only a few years in between those two. I don't think I realized that. I don't think. No, no, no. There's many. There's that's it was like 12 years at least. Oh, did you say 89? Because it sounded like you said 99. No, 1889. I meant 89. It was it was it was like, yeah, at least 12, 13 years. Okay, well that that's yeah okay that's that's much better. I was going to say, how do you decline so quickly? Uh, and for but, our young listeners out there, in the late '80s, Bruce Hornsby would have been a pretty big name, but come early 2000s, not so much. Agreed. You could say the same about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, 
I so do we do we continue on with you in the 90s or do we because you know I told you at the outset of the last one that the 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 whole linear <laughs> description of how my concert history has gone is not going to be very easy for me. Uh I can probably get somewhere around the So here's the thing is like I think of things mostly in terms of I guess a cultural placement rather than this is the date of that. So when I'm in high school, I'm in high school. And mm -hmm. now I couldn't necessarily tell you if I saw Guns N' Roses in my sophomore year of high school or my senior year of high school. Uh, but I'm sure that I saw them in one of those years. So I, I, I have a little bit of advantage here since, you know, you went to, for those of our listeners who don't know, Scott went to one, one college university for what, four or five years? Four years. I was, I was four, four in, four out. That's one of the, one of my claims to fame. Well, I went to several <laughs> different colleges. Um, uh -huh. And then after I graduated, went to another one. So it's easier for me to, to categorize things. Maybe I can't. So like, you know, I, I know when I was in Rock Hill, what year? So it's easy to say that was 91, 92, because it had to be, because it was only there for one year. Or, you know, I was in Athens, Georgia from 93 to 96. I don't know when I would have seen necessarily the bands that saw what year. I just knew they were in Athens in that time range. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's the other thing is that uh, the, another advantage that you have is that, yes, you were in Rock Hill for a year. And in spite of the fact that, you know, our podcast takes place in the nexus of pop culture and Cherry Road, which is, in our minds, the center of the real universe, uh, Rock Hill is, is now it is, uh, for those of you listeners that, uh, that are up in the uh, Punxsutawney area and... Uh, some of our fans uh, in uh, outer Portland, uh, and that's Maine or Oregon, doesn't really matter. Right, uh, we signed Rock, off both recently. Rock Hill is, you know, what would we say, 25, 30 miles south of Charlotte, North Carolina? I don't even think it's that. I think it's more like 15 miles south of Charlotte. Do you really? Yeah, you may yeah, be it's, right. it's, it's not that far. I mean, you definitely get to Rock Hill in a half hour from Charlotte, from downtown. Oh, without question, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of shows that we would have seen during college years for Steve in 91 and 92, and for me from 91 to 95, would most likely have been outside of the Rock Hill area. Uh, it would have to have been in Charlotte or Greensboro or Charleston or, you know, Columbia. Columbia. Uh, somewhere like that. I even went to Saluda. Uh, <laughs> well, I saw, you know, I saw a couple of shows in, in death Valley, uh, so a couple of bigger names, um, the Rolling Stones I saw in death Valley. Saying, the Rolling... And the U2 opened a concert. I think it was in sometime mid nineties. They opened a death Valley. I believe the, that the I Zuropa saw, tour. and I believe I was at that one. I believe that's right. I believe you're correct that, it was the Zeropa tour because Zeropa is that the one that has the Johnny Cash duet on it? Is that right? I don't know about. I don't know. I didn't really like that album a whole lot. It's the one that had the Lemon song on it. 
Yeah, I can't. What was the big hit on that album? Do you remember? It's the one where the Edge was talking, right? Don't look, don't listen, don't something. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, so and I also saw, which was an excellent concert that I'll get into in a more detail later. I saw Billy Joel and Elton John, and uh, at uh, Death Valley, which was just absolutely phenomenal. And I'm sure you're about to tell me that you don't like Billy Joel or Elton John. And so then we'll just conclude the podcast. With you. <laughs> By the way, the song was numb that I was thinking of. Okay. Gotcha. Of Azurpa. I, I really enjoyed Billy Joel when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't so much enjoy Billy Joel anymore. Uh, I don't know why. I have no problem with Elton John. Elton John's like a rock icon. So I, I remember those, that tour being pretty expensive uh, for when it was back in the day. But I don't know. I just, I like Allentown. That's a good song. Just, and I, I certainly know all the wo- words to every Billy Joel song. I think I maybe just had just oversaturated Billy Joel. Yeah, where you were from, I can see where that would be the case. Yeah. Um, he is certainly he's certainly more. I mean, I probably got mostly into my really hardcore Billy Joel following from living with. Uh, Shout out here to Michael Bono uh, from the town of Oyster Bay, Long Island. Uh, Bono was a huge, and this is not to be confused with Bono, Bono was a huge fan of Billy Joel. And uh, so... Uh, so we're shouting out to Michael Bono right now, right? Yes, yes. Um, so a huge Billy, Buffalo Bills fan, if I remember correctly. Indeed, you are correct about that. Uh, so we had some good times there when the Bills were just losing Super Bowl after Super Bowl <laughs> in right. the early so, 90s. Quick, so, check yes. me if wrong my memory. Did, did he drive a red Jeep Cherokee? You are correct, sir. I have no idea why that just came to my mind. Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that had you not said it just now. So this is, this is the astounding thing about my podcasting partner here. His memory is – it's one of the most acute memories I've ever – experienced in my life so uh, if you ever need anything remembered uh, and so I'm we're talking to you uh, uh, jewelry outfits where you're uh, thinking about uh, looking for new podcast to sponsor this guy remembers dates and things like that which are important in the jewelry business so and you know shout out to you... uh, Duckhead the uh, maker of the khaki shirt she used to wear and your Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt mm-hmm. that's true Yes, and your, nat- your natural light poster that said nothing could be finer in the Carolinas. <laughs> you see what I mean, folks? It's amazing and astounding. So I saw the last thing that I, the last concert that I left off on, off on I believe you're right, was I had talked about Kiss and Crocus and then Minute Work. And uh, at I length. believe. I believe that I spoke about my disappointment with Minute Work uh, as a group in concert, that it was just wasn't that I'd expected more because Minute Work, I believe, not a, now, <laughs> this is not a Steve memory, folks, so please understand that. I believe that the very first cassette tape that I ever had was Minute Work. I know the first one I had was Seven and the Ragged Tiger by Duran Duran. Oh, that's a good one. I remember that's going out and purchasing that because I had a Walkman, and that's mm-hmm. why I bought it. 
Well, I remember thinking when that album came out that that was like, you know, that we were fairly young then and not really fourth, understanding. Fourth grade, probably. Do what? Fourth grade, most likely, I would say, for that, that album. And not understanding why albums had names like, and songs had names like that. Right. <laughs> like, what does that mean, Mr. Duran? <laughs> Take a look. Uh, anybody out there, please look up the lyrics for the song The Reflex and please tell me what that's about because I have no idea. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Uh, so, so, yeah, Minute Work, not, not awesome. And so that, you know, is probably my experience in middle and so I'm probably going to hit more highlights and then just when you say things, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I saw them. Uh, so the best concert I've ever, I've ever participated in, in any way, shape or form, I think, uh, was ACDC. And I would be willing to say that even at their age now, that ACDC probably could still put on a concert in the top 10 of all concerts, but I saw them in their prime. And uh, so it was, uh, and, and I feel like we've had this discussion because I feel like you hit me up with some things that I just couldn't remember, but I saw them probably two years removed from Back in Black. Oh, wow. And so Back in Black, and, and this is probably where you corrected me, I'm thinking was 84? That sounds right. Does that sound right? Yeah, I would have said mid to early 80s on that because okay. Highway the Hell was after that, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, and so I saw them probably... At that, at that point in time, I feel like ACDC was putting out an album almost every year. Um, and I probably saw them. So within one or two albums after back in black. So I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable saying that that was close to their peak. Um, because to me, back in black is their is their high water mark. Is that, is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. Okay. Um, and that concert was so amazing. Well, first of all, I saw it in the Greenville Memorial Auditorium, which is now gone. It was Im imploded. Uh, I don't know, probably 25 years ago now, uh, to make way for the Bon Secours Wellness Center, which is on its like sixth or seventh name. Uh, no, nothing against Bon Secours. My brother and my mother both work there. So shout out to them. You know, if you want to sponsor the podcast, we're certainly willing to entertain the idea. Yes, we are. Please get in touch with us. Uh, but the Greenville Memorial Auditorium, uh, I, have you ever been there? Did you ever see anything there? I, okay. I know where the Bilo Center. I think I was in the Bilo Center, but I'm not 100% sure. So the Bilo Center is now is what's now the Bon Secours Wellness Center. Bilo, okay. you know, is, is defunct as a grocery store chain. Is it really? Uh, yeah, there's no more Bilo's. So, yeah, that, that, kind of a, that happened lot, probably lot in the last... right now. Yeah, that probably happened in the last five years or so. Uh, but anyway... Uh, so the Bon Secours Wellness Center is the old Bilo Center. Well, the Memorial Auditorium was probably a block, a block and a half away from there. Uh, and, you know, that's where I used to go see pro wrestling all the time. That's where I right. met 
Ric Flair and Tully Blanchard and Ole and Arn Anderson, uh, Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, a lot of those guys. You know that that was old old Jim Crockett Promotions days, because uh, that was the venue when I was a kid, uh, and and they got big acts. You know, but it was not a gigantic venue. I, I don't know, and I'm sure one of our commenters on our our podcast would be able to give us his information exactly or to tell me that I'm a moron and I'm not even close, but I would not think that it sat and more than positive comments and tweets only, please. Yes. Thank you. I would, I would be willing to say that it, I would think that it sat somewhere between five and 7,000 at the most, you know, so not a, not a large, large venue, not, not like the Fox in Atlanta, you know, where you're talking several hundred people, but you know, I would say five to 7,000, depending on the nature of the show, you know, particularly. Um, and so with ACDC, you know, it is, it's, it's the music and the music is everything that you think the music would be. You know, it's a studio quality sound in a live performance. Uh, but with all of these, I don't want to say props because that feels like I'm under I'm I'm underselling it, I'm understating it, uh, and, and you know I would I, when I say props I sort of think, and of course I didn't see this so I may be way off base here but I think more about like your Weird Al concert, right, uh, or something out of like that that uh, who's the guy the comedian guy Gallagher, the watermelons, <laughs> yeah yeah, um, so I don't want to undersell it. I mean it it was big like production like props like. When they did TNT, there's like this big like like wrap of dynamite that comes rising out of the stage and it's sizzling and popping and you know all of these you know kind of mini explosions going on. Or when Hell's Bells plays, there's this giant like Liberty Bell type bell that comes up out of the stage and it's gonging throughout. And, and then of course you have the and and there is no other word to describe him the phenomenon that is angus young um and i don't know how familiar you are with acdc are you from you're pretty familiar yes i'd say familiar i'm not going to go as very familiar but i know okay. who that is well angus young never stops moving right and i don't he mean kicks like his legs he kind of stoops yes, low and kicks one yes leg. and and rocks his body like back and forth the entire time that he is playing these just astounding licks on the guitar um and so i can't i can't say enough and they don't waste your time with or at least they didn't then i don't know now with a bunch of b-sides you know it's, right. They're yeah, not. Like they do. They're not out there promoting. I mean, of course, they they play songs from their latest album, but it's going to be the songs that you know from their latest album because they've done such a great job of promoting their songs, which is crazy to me, because the only stations that ever really play ACDC are classic rock stations, and they're playing the old stuff, but yet somehow everybody already knows the new stuff too, and that's a phenomenon that's ACDC. Uh, so. Everything about that experience was amazing. And it was so amazing that they had an opening act. And I can't even tell you who it was. I have no idea. But it was somebody big at that time. That's a good concert. Yeah. 
It is. Absolutely it is. So that was just that was that was phenomenal. Um so I wanted to make sure that I discussed ACDC above all else. So that was that was great. Uh going into now I've seen Springsteen I think I said on the last podcast, I've seen him multiple times. I don't know if I gave a number and I don't know if I could give a number. I've seen him with the E street band. I've seen him with his, with the fake E street band that after he fired them all and got his own band together and all that stuff and got married to the lady, he, Patty Scalfa, who he's married to now, uh, after the whole debacle with Julianne. I Phillips. prefer Julianne Phillips. I'm just saying. Yes. yes I understood. I agree. I agree. But I've also seen him. I, I saw him at the Fox in Atlanta, and that was a, a phenomenal experience on Super Bowl Sunday night. Um, and he came and he played acoustical versions of all of the songs of his that were appropriate to do acoustical versions to. He didn't sully the good names of his hard rocking songs by trying to slowing down Born them. to Run. Yeah. Well, but he did do that one. And that was phenomenal. He did that with Thunder Road, but Thunder Road kind of lends itself to that anyway. Yeah, Thunder Road makes sense for that. Um, but Born to Run was amazing. He did it with uh, The Ghost of Tom Joad, which is one of his more solo acts, which is just a, an amazing one. He did it with uh, um, uh, uh, Youngstown. I mean, just so many of his songs that were just really, really appropriate to play in that venue. And then he talked a lot in between. And this was pre-political Springsteen. Uh, so he made some, some, uh, pretty funny jokes about, cause this was the year that the last year that the Cowboys played the Steelers in the Super Bowl. You probably know what Super Bowl it was. Super yeah. Bowl 30. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you can count on him for a lot of things, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, he's, he, he would say stuff like, uh, there's, uh, a riot's broken out at the Super Bowl and Troy Aikman's leading a mob down the streets and they're burning whatever city it was. Was that in Atlanta? That Super Bowl was in Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. No, because I was Sorry. in Springsteen in Atlanta. It yeah. Was, it was in Tempe. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so it was um Yeah, it was just a great concert. And and seeing him with the E Street band, uh I saw him once uh in old RFK. So um that was pretty cool. Uh, Super Bowl twenty eight was the one that was in Atlanta, and that was there have been like three in Atlanta, but Super Bowl twenty eight would have been around that time. That was the Bills and Cowboys. Okay, first time or second time? Second time. First time was twenty seven at the Rose Bowl. Okay, okay. So anyway, uh, Springsteen absolutely phenomenal. Now I want I want to go back a minute to the the Billy Joel and Elton John concert because I, I just want to describe this to you because it was super cool. So they come out um, and there are two uh, grand pianos. I mean, is there a bigger size piano than grand piano? I mean, it just seemed like even bigger uh, than grand piano. Jumbo. Maybe that was it. Or two value, jumbo... si val value size is the other one. <laughs> <laughs> is, there a, so is there a super size? A, uh, is there a big gulp? Big key. So they come out and there are two grand pianos and you know, the, the pianos, the, the, the lids or whatever you call the things on the piano, they're propped up, you know? Yeah. And on one of them is an American flag. And on the other one is the union Jack. And 
it's super cool. And so they, they come out and they're both dressed in like tails and they bow to each other. And there's like uh Yankee doodle, like flute music playing when they come out, like Mar with snare drums and all this stuff. And it's really cool. And so then they go and they take their seats at the pianos and they play a couple of their songs, like one Billy Joel song, one Elton John song as duets. And then uh, Elton John leaves and then Billy Joel does a set. And during his set, he sings like two or three Elton John songs. And then Elton John comes back out. They do another couple of duets. And then Billy Joel leaves and Elton John does a set. And he sings a couple of Billy Joel songs. And it was absolutely just amazing. Uh, Billy Joel did, uh, I think did, if I remember correctly, Billy Joel did Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. Uh, and Elton John did New York State of Mind. And it was just, I mean, but it was, so one of the things about that concert that made it even better for me is uh because I was working at the Winthrop Coliseum at that time, all Ticketmaster concerts, Winthrop would get a certain, and, and I guess any other venue that was a Ticketmaster participant, would get a certain number of quality seats for that venue that if they didn't sell, they would go back into the general public queue. Uh -huh. And so when I, found out about, when I found out about that concert, I said... I, told my boss that I wanted to go and said, can you see what the best ticket I can get is? So I ended up on the third row of that concert, wow. like front and center. Uh, and it was just amazing. I mean, you know, I could see, you know, nose hair and things like that. Um, Do you think it's, is, the show would have been better if, if while Elton John is, is they've, they've gone through Billy Joel does his set. They play together. Elton John comes out to play together. Elton John's doing his solo. And then Billy Joel has a heel turn. And comes out with like a piano bench and hits Elton John on the back, and just all hell breaks loose in the stage. Well, you didn't give me a chance to get to that part. <laughs> Only it wasn't Billy Joel or Elton John that did the heel turn. It's Suddenly, re re repelling out of the rafters were were Bruce Hornsby and Howard Jones with a sword with a score to settle. And so, you know, they knocked him out, spray painted, you know, MTV for life on the backs. It was, there was a whole thing. Uh, I kind of so, like the idea of, of Rick Astley coming down, spray paint, never going to give you up. <laughs> he rickrolled him. That's his finishing move. Yes. So, yeah, that, uh, yeah, so that was, that was good stuff. Um, so let's go back to you now. Let's, okay. let's let's go back into the into the nineties. Are we the nineties? Is that where we determined that we were? Yeah, the early nineties would have been in the Rock Hill, Charlotte uh, area, and I I, the, I can think of three that stood out. Which I'm sure there was. I know there was more local bands in there that I can't remember, mm -hmm. but for sure, Hooting the Blowfish in '91, well before their prime. Agreed. I would yes, see, I would. I would see them again in their prime in ninety-five. Ninety-five or ninety-six. I think it was ninety-five in Clemson. And uh, we're talking about seeing hooting the blowfish. You know, we're talking about seeing in, in 
a place called Bar 101 in, in Rock Hill, which was a, what, what 500 people? Maybe. A thousand? I mean, it was a, it was a very small, and, and we're talking like six bucks, five dollars, maybe to see Hootie, not very much at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked it. I liked Hootie, and, and I, I think I saw them a few times because I knew I knew several of their songs and recognized them in three, four years later when they became a commercial success. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Mm-hmm. Um Running with the was it Running with the Devil? Yeah. That wasn't it. Running with that an was, Angel. Running with an Angel. That was the one I remember that, that stood out just I was like, Oh yeah, I know that song. Uh yeah. the big the big Rock Hill concert I remember was driving and crying at the Winthrop Farm. Yeah. You say that was ninety two. I think it was you said it was the end of ninety one. I really think it was ninety two. No. Like in but it was before we went home for Christmas break. But but see this is where I disagree. It was hot that day, and I know we're talking about South Carolina, but it's not hot. Like, it was hot. Because I remember, and I remember some guy in the crowd shouting, for the people, for the people. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And I think that's a driving and crying song, right? Mm, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's not one that rings a bell. Right. Um, I mean, it's over and over. Just Anyway, it was a great concert. It was outside. Whether it was 91 or 92, it was... It was it was a really fun concert, uh, and then the the big one that really stood out was was U two with the Pixies opening for them mm-hmm. in Charlotte, and that's yes. the one where we we had this plan laid out when you had to buy tickets, buy film with Ticketmaster before the internet. And I remember we had it scheduled how we were going to do this over several hours, mm-hmm. and and pass and whoever I think it was Chandler, our friend Chandler was the he got through in like the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. And and we had tickets right away, and and I thought that concert was, the Pixies were outstanding. Yeah. Um, and I got to hear them. You know, one of my favorite songs is Head On, so I heard mm-hmm. the Pixies play Head On, and I'm going to tell you where I heard it again, uh, later live. So it was great. It was we were kind of sitting. It was in the old Charlotte Coliseum. It was kind of a stage in the round, but not really. And we were kind of towards the back. If you're looking straight at the stage, we're in the kind of the back right side, but I. I the sound was great, but I remember, and I'm sure they do the, this kind of thing in every town where, where um, someone had a sign up that said "Play Angel of Harlem for a dollar," and he says that song's worth more than a dollar, and they just went right into the song. I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah, I remember yeah. that being a really really good concert. Now, so here's my big one of the '90s, and that was Lollapalooza 1992. Let me tell let me tell you where I saw this. It was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Which, which our listeners will recognize that from the setting for the office, which was about two hours from where I grew up in Pennsylvania, two hours north. And so you had to go to – so the way this was set up was they made a ski resort into an amphitheater for the show where the big stage was at the bottom of a ski hill. And they just had people sitting up on the ski hill. So it was nat- a natural slope, which is really cool. So we, we stayed at my friend's uh, – his parents had a – house in the Poconos. We stayed there the night before and then we drove over into Scranton and we drove over what is called Lackawanna County Stadium where the, um, I don't know if they're called the Red Barons anymore. It used to be the Phillies AAA team. I think it's the Yankees now. And so we get there to the parking lot and we park and there's all these school buses going up this hill from like a, a they're going somewhere and we're like, well, how car, how far can it be? So we're like, we're not going to wait for these buses. So we walked uphill and it must have taken us an hour and a half to two hours to get up to where, where the concert was. It was a huge mistake not to get on the buses. Mm-hmm. 
But once we got there, I think it's the best lineup I've ever seen. And we didn't even stay for the bet. We weren't even in by the time it was over. And by the time we got to the, the top act, we weren't even paying attention and we left in the middle of it. So here's, here it is Pearl Jam from 1990. I'm sorry. Lollapalooza in 1992. The mm-hmm. Jesus and Mary Chain, which I got to hear head on again within the same year. So I mm-hmm. heard head on by the two bands that have recorded it, which is great. Uh, and this was 92 as grunge was going to hit its peak in 93. So Soundgarden was there. Pearl mm-hmm. Jam before its peak, which played a mm-hmm. great rendition of Rockin' in the Free World to end their eight song set. And then Lush, which was uh, Lush is Outstanding, which is a all-female British band. Uh-huh. Ministry. Actually, let me mm-hmm. skip it. Ice Cube. Ice Cube was incredible. Uh, I th- I swear this is one of the venues where if some of them Ice T and Ice Cube were there together, I think Ice T and Ice Cube may have been at this together. I'd have to verify that, but I, Ice Cube was amazing. Um, by the time we got into the nighttime, Ministry played, which I'd never liked. Ministry, and they had a bizarre. The back screen was like an eye operation, which was so bizarre. <laughs> um. And I remember being so tired at that point and just falling asleep on the side of the hill during the ministry concert. Because if anyone knows ministry, they're extremely loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fell asleep. I was so tired. Woke up for the Chili Peppers, and we were just so exhausted from that whole day that we, we left halfway through the Chili Peppers to beat the crowd. We heard a couple of big songs, and, and we, were just, we were just done. Uh, I remember them wearing the flaming. Remember they used to wear like a hard hat with like a flaming thing on top? Mm-hmm. I remember them wearing that, and that's that's probably the best day of music I think I've ever seen. Well, you know, and if you remember my dorm room, I had the poster from the first Lollapalooza that I, I do remember. It was purple and green. Yes, and I attended that, and let me see if I can remember everybody that was there. So, uh, Rollins Band, which I have feelings about Henry Rollins. Um <laughs> And most of them are not positive. Um, let's see. Uh, Living Color was there. You yep. remember the guys of Cult of Personality fame? Yeah. Um, uh, Sue and the Banshees, uh, which is another mostly female group, which is a little bit strange. Um, uh, then we had... Um, Ice T was definitely the one I was at, um, and he was there with his Body Count band. Uh, so that was uh, that was interesting. I'd say Ice Cube was incredible. I mean, he yeah. had that crowd in the palm of his hand. Yeah, well, I mean, I like Ice T, and I, I think I recall enjoying it. Um, the headliner, and I feel like I'm missing a band or two, uh, but my memory just can't go very far anymore. Um, <laughs> it was Jane's Addiction. Yeah, it was. And they were... Perry Farrell was the organizer of Lollapalooza. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, um, They were... uh, I had seen them before, uh, and so they were always a a really... Even though he's very strange. He is. (laughs) Very strange. Uh, And that that whole porno for pyros uh, (laughs) face... Yeah, was... Yeah, that was just very weird. But when they sang Mountain Song. Was uh, Nine Inch Nails there? I feel like they were. I feel like that's another one that I'm I'm missing. And I didn't know a whole lot about them at that point in time. I didn't start really 
paying much attention to them until living next door to Chandler mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Chris Sane. Both of those guys love Nine Inch Nails. I'm not a big fan either. Um, I'm also, uh, you know, and I don't know if this is going to be popular with our viewers or our listeners or not, but uh, I'm not a big fan of Rage Against the Machine either. Oh, I'll get into that in a minute. You'll get into that. What are you saying? You'll get into your feelings about that, or you love them so much? No, that... I don't. I don't like them. I, it's it'll go into Lollapalooza '93. Okay, here in a gotcha. second. Um, so you did. So you've done multiple Lollapaloozas. Yeah, we went in. Uh, we went in 1993. Uh, I went with a different group of people. So the the group I went with. I don't even know how to explain the the difference between these two groups. But it's two different groups of friends. The second group I went with, the first group I went with very much, we were into like, uh, yeah, like grunge or like a rock and roll sound. Mm-hmm. The second group I went with was my friends who were more into like a hardcore alternative sound, and 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 they were really into these bands, which I wasn't. Um, which I know was Rage Against the Machine, Front Two Four Two. Um, trying to see if I can find the the list. Uh, Primus was there. Ah, I like this. I don't. Guys. I don't. <laughs> they I don't remember. Allison Chains. Okay, they were okay. Dinosaur Junior. I do like. Possibly Fishbone. Rest of. I remember Babes in Toyland. Tool. I, none of these bands really, except for Dinosaur Junior. And I'm yeah. okay with that. I'm okay with Allison Chains. Um, yeah. Just maybe two out of those ten bands. I remember it being a. It was a very. It was a long, hot day. It was one of those deals where, like I said, like we have an extra ticket. I'm like, well, if no one else can go, I'll go. It was like 35 bucks, and I was broke. And uh, they called me next morning. Yeah, no one else is going. We need you to go. So I, I go ahead and go. And I remember we stopped off at Wawa, and we got subs so we could eat during the day. Because when we, when we went to uh, Lollapalooza the year before at the ski resort in Scranton, I mean, you could, you could take anything in you wanted to. Um, but this was on the site of um, Lollapalooza Night Throughs in Philadelphia, and it was on the site of the JFK Old Stadium where I had seen Michael Jackson, the one where Live Aid was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at this point, it was just a torn down dust bowl. And we get there with with you know all our sandwiches, our drinks, and they tell us we can't bring that in. There's just a pile of stuff that people had brought that they wouldn't let them bring in. And I remember that was like the first time I'd seen like the four dollar Pepsi. At a concert event, I remember Pepsi. I remember that specifically because Pepsi was a sponsor, and how expensive food was, and and it seemed like this was what I'd seen the year before in '92 at Lollapalooza felt like a music festival. Like there, I remember there were like different art vendors, people selling, you know, lots of that early '90s styles style of jewelry. I don't even know how to explain that. A lot of beads. Um, it felt more like a music festival, and this felt like a commercial event. And I just, I really did not enjoy Lollapalooza '93 at all. Not, not, not a good member. I remember just sitting there and not, not wanting the day to be over. Whereas opposed to the year before, we had such a good time. We were worn out before it was even over and falling asleep. Wow. And I think I remember at the end of that day in '92 when we saw that we, we were trying to think of, you know. We're like program Pearl Jam's gonna be huge, which they were breaking at that time. Um, 
Soundgarden was really good and just how much Lush had impressed us too. But I mean, it was all. Jesus and Mary Chain played all of Automatic probably. And and they were amazing. And Ice Cube having everyone putting their middle fingers up in the air and leading a chant of uh, F the police <laughs> was a very <laughs> memorable moment back in 1992. That was very fun. Like I said, 92 felt like this awesome kind of fest music festival. And then 93 felt like this very MTV produced. And that's what happened to this kind of music that we enjoyed. Um, it turned into very corporate, very commercial, very alternative music became mainstream music and MTV killed it. And that's when we start to get into like smashing pumpkins and all that, which I don't really care for anymore. So I was, I was, well, I was just looking at the, the lineup on the original, um, the first Lollapalooza and evidently there were some, so I I said all the bands, but one I had forgotten that was there that I didn't, uh, I had just put out of my mind was the butthole surfers. <laughs> uh, but evidently in some venues, the following bands were also available. This was not true where I saw them and I'm trying to remember where I went to Lollapalooza, but I can't off the top of my head, pull that out of my, uh, pull that out. But it says that Wild Stallions featuring Bill S. Preston, Esquire, and Ted Theodore Logan were at some venues. That's they were cool. not where I was. Uh, also, the Violent Femmes, who I have seen in concert before, uh, but not at Lollapalooza. And Fishbone, uh, which I was... Were there in 93? Uh, they were not there in the one I went to. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, you had, uh, see the, the, the one that I'm, I mean, you've already named several, uh, concerts in our previous episode that I was jealous of, but I, I the Jesus and Mary chain, that's a pretty cool, pretty cool gig. I don't the know the whole, I'm... everybody was just on their a game. Yeah. It felt like, and you know, and just before, just before the prime of Soundgarden, just before the prime of. Yeah, uh, Pearl Jam. Just yeah, the Chili Peppers probably in their prime. Just, you know, just I mean, they had a massive hit in ninety one, ninety two with um, <laughs> what's that song called? Uh, sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. Sometimes uh, I feel like uh, the bridge. Is that, that the was bridge? called. Yeah, yeah it was a massive so. hit. Yeah. Um. um. But I just, I never, it never, the, just, it, it was, it was 11 months later because it was in August of 92, I looked it up. And then July of 92 to La Palooza 93, two completely different uh, feels where one felt like very, very like cool, organic experience. And the other one was very much leading into that Woodstock 94 that MTV did, uh, which is a disgrace. Yeah. And then, yeah. so then from there, uh, I got, I moved to, uh, well, actually, I'll skip over all of Delaware because I saw nothing there. Uh, then I, you know, in Athens, Georgia, I, I went to the 40-watt club all the time. I even moved downtown for a year while I was in college to have closer access to the 40-watt club. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I, I didn't keep a list. But here's some of the bands I saw. Magnapop, which I did not know until like last week. Magnapop was one of my favorite local bands. The lead singer is Michael Stipe's sister. Really? Which, which I didn't know until I... I looked up Magnapop and I had no idea. And I remember even one time running into her um, downtown after one of the shows, and she was she was really nice. Um, 
I saw the Screaming Trees, the 40 watt, which was probably one of the better shows that I've seen. Um, that was off that album where they had Nearly Lost You that was on the single soundtrack. Mm -hmm. That was really good. And I don't know if that was, was the good. album after the one with Bed of Roses on it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was after Uncle Anesthesia. Uh, yeah. Which is the name of the album. Screaming Trees were great. Um, Kristen Hirsch. I don't know. Do you know who that is? No. She was the lead singer of Throwing Muses. Um, which was very Ooh, much in man. in that in that like belly breeders pixies yeah kind of. yeah and she had I, an album. Uh, I had their I had one of their albums yeah the throwing Mises was 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 really good Tanya Donnelly was in that who became the lead singer I think it was Tanya Donnelly was the lead singer of Belly who was also in the breeders but Kristen Hirsch was really good but what was unique about that that may remember it was she had a solo album out and. I convinced my friends to go with me, and we get there, and it's the only time ever. Have you been to the 40-watt club? No. It's this great – Just it's a small, dark venue uh, on this corner in Athens, Georgia, and they just – I couldn't wait. Every week we had a paper that came out in Athens called The Flagpole, and the very back page would have the list of the 40-watt acts, and that's how I would plan my time. Wait a minute. I, how long has this been open? 40 watts. It was well before I was there. It's possible you went there. It was in a different location, probably. So when I you mean, went there. I mean, so the venue would it would did REM play there? I'm sure. And the Chili Peppers would they have played there? Probably. Nirvana played there before I got there. So I mean, I went to a. You know, I told you when I was in like when I had my first real job that I got hooked up with that guy who was a like a junior or senior in high school, and um, he would. Uh, he took me to the Chili Peppers and he took me to REM, both of which were in Athens. And I mean, it was in a smaller place. I, I my, my well, memory was, is was either the it probably was the Forty Watt or the Georgia Theater. Either one of those would would have made sense. And it may have been both. I may have done one and one and one and the other. I I just remember when I saw REM, it was they were doing Life's Rich Pageant because I had a I had a tour shirt that I brought that I bought there that I. Um, I had for years, you know. Um, it was so cool. I've tried to find a replica of that shirt, but you just can't. You can't find it anymore. Yeah. Um, they used to have a lot of good REM um, t-shirts at the Junkman's Daughter's Brother. Uh, this is a store. Now. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but did you say the Junkman's Daughter's Brother? Yeah. I love the name. I don't care. Are because they? The junk, are are the we in negotiations daughter, with them? The the Junkman's Daughter is a store that was in Five Points in Atlanta. And so the Junkman's daughter's brother was the store in Athens. And just like a really cool, like, I mean, it was so 90s. It was full of a lot of 70s and 80s, like, retro stuff uh, that, that we would have loved at that point in our lifetime. They had they, the best band, band t-shirts, band t-shirts, and they had, like, you know, all kinds of Doc Martens and stuff. This is a really cool place. Um, and the, the other place in Athens was the Georgia Theater, which I, I didn't go there as much. Because it was usually like bigger bands, and mm -hmm. with more well-known like Dave Matthews, mm -hmm. and I feel like you would have gone to like the Georgia Theater to see like Sister Hazel, uh, someone like that. But I saw, I know for sure, probably the best concert I saw at the Georgia Theater was Benfold's Five, um, somewhere around '94, and they were really good. And I actually ended up seeing Benfold's Five another time in Atlanta, um, probably five years later. And then a few years after that, I saw Ben Folds solo. Um, and he was good all three times. I mean, I would say the first time I saw them was the best. 
Um, he was really good. His piano skills are great live. But there's a band, I don't know if you this band, Scott. There's a band that I saw at the, a lot, the 40 Watt, called 5-8. And I can't nope. tell you, name one of their songs, but I know I used to go see them a lot. Hmm. I got, so yeah. you can appreciate, you appreciate this story. So there's also, there was a bar called Lowry's, which I hated. Lowry's was like the, the, the frat bar. Um, in Athens, and frat fraternities at the University of Georgia are much different than fraternities in, in, at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Two very different things. Um, so I would rarely go into Lowry's, but we ended up in there one night because my friend Andy liked this girl, so we went in there. And there's always this band playing called the Simpletons, and I never liked the Simpletons because they're just a cover band, mm-hmm. and I I didn't understand why people get so excited about cover bands. And so I went in there one night and. and we're waiting on Andy's friend if she was playing the keyboards for him. And the lead singer comes over and sits down. He's like, Hey, I'm Warren. You know, I, he just couldn't, couldn't have been the nicest guy in the world. I'm like, you know, my best Rob Kunkel voice. I'm like, Hey, why don't you play your own damn music instead of stealing other people's music? And he's like, oh. he's like, he's like, you know what? He's like, you're right, man. He's like, you're absolutely right. He's like, look, and he hands me a cassette tape, like breaches in his pocket. He's like, look, here's one of my demo albums. Will you listen to it and tell me what you think? He's like, I'd really appreciate it. The guy couldn't have been any nicer, and I was the biggest jerk to this guy. That's so uncharacteristic so, of you. Yeah, I don't know where in the world that came from. I don't wow. know why why I said that and why in the world he was so nice. And, and I did listen to it, and it was good. Um, and I feel bad. I never, I never sought him out. I was too embarrassed. Uh, I wish I would have come back to him and said, hey, man, that was really good. So, parallel story, uh, and this probably occurred around 98, 99, uh, went to a place in Greenville that is no longer, uh, I think it's a strip club now, uh, but it was called Characters, and I actually saw Driving and Crying at Characters one time, but... Uh, Sounds but like a strip un- club. Unrelated. Um, that well, Atlanta not- Bread Company, also a shady place. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, uh, don't think I don't know what's in your beer cheese soup. <laughs> so, anyway. Beer the, cheese soup is words that no one's ever said. So, I'm, uh, we, we go to this, to, to characters, and we go because, I don't know, somebody says, hey, we need to go to characters tonight. I think there's a band playing, so there'll be you know, a good crowd there or whatever. And so we go, and the band's, the band, it's two bands, actually. It's Smash Mouth uh, and Third Eye Blind. I must say pass and double pass. So anyway, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm, 1998, I'm still in my, you know, I guess 20s. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat still familiar with the music scene. So I, I had heard of both of these guys. And Smash Mouth came out, and they were awesome. I mean, really a great, you know, I don't, I don't really care for their music or their songs, but their uh, charisma was, was contagious, you know. He was, uh, I don't know if you, it's kind of the way, I don't know if you've seen Shrek. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. But, but, you know, the scene at the end where they're in concert or whatever and they're doing, hey, now you're an all-star. I mean, that's really how they are um, in, in concert. Well, so the concert, their part of the concert ends because Third Eye Blind was the bigger act because they had more, number one hits i guess or whatever the qualifications were at that time and uh so you know there's the you know half hour lull between the 
opening band and the and the new and the headliner and so <laughs> the lead singer of Smash Mouth comes out. He's like hanging out with us. He comes and sits at our table and you know, he makes some sort of comment to the effect that you guys look like you're serious about your drinking, so I'm gonna sit with you guys. <laughs> So he does, and we're talking to him, and it's it's really cool because I mean he's really down to earth, nice nice guy, and we're talking, and and uh, so uh, you know inevitably me or somebody else asked him the question, so you know how's it touring with Third Eye Blind, and he was like, oh they suck, they suck <laughs> so bad. He said these guys are terrible. He said I, I cannot wait for this tour to be over because we don't ever ever want to be. He said the way that they sing their songs, like almost like whining. And you know what I'm talking about? Uh, just kind of like everything is like Alanis Morissette writing in her journal. Um, and he said, that's the way they act. He said, it's all, you know, life is so melancholy and you know, all this kind of, he said, it's just terrible. He said, it's, it's a bunch of drama Queens. Uh, he said, so we can't wait to be done with the tour. And I was like, that is awesome. You were that candid about this. <laughs> that but, is pretty uh, cool. But I thought, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was great. Uh, you know, I like the people that, you know, are really going to be down to earth and, 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 and remember that, you know, it's, it's the fans that make you. And so, so be honest. yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like that's how I would feel if I ever met anybody like, you know, Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20, that they'd kind of be the same way. You know, those, those guys, uh, you know, I'm not looking for them to be the theme song for our show. So anyway. Um, so let me, let me do this in the interest of time. I'm going to run down the rest of my list and then we'll run down yours. And if anything catches your fancy, let me know. Okay. Okay. So if I, let's see. So that stuff in Athens is going on between 93 and 96. I know in 95, I catch Better Than Ezra at their peak in Boston, the night of my brother's first wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the only thing I remember about that, well, I remember it was at Babson College, which is really small. Uh, I really just went to hang out with the girl who was there. And uh, I, I remember them when they play their song, It's Good, and then like, mm-hmm. the place just cleared out. Yeah. Um, and that's all I remember about Better Than Ezra. I remember seeing Hootie and the Blowfish at Clemson in 95. And then this is just some of the other, I don't necessarily have time for this. So other people I've seen in the Atlanta area where it's where I spent almost 20 years, um, David Gray, Eric Clapton, Trisha Yearwood at the Fox, which was really good because she just did one performance and it was like, so it was called something like a show for Georgia. So she just talked about like being from Georgia, growing up in Georgia to a Georgia crowd. And it was great. Worst concert ever by far. Or some Bruce Springs, Bruce Hornsby, sorry, because I forgot about this one. The worst concert I ever saw was at the Fox was Tori Amos. Oh, gosh. It was wow. absolutely brutal. I may have been the only male there. And I, I remember singing a song about being laying on her, laying down with a gun on her back with a gun to her head, and it was just the most depressing. And I was like, I don't know why. I think I don't think Brandy even listened to her after that concert because it was so weird and depressing. And I don't, I there was it was the most joyless concert I've ever been to. It, mm-hmm. it was horrible. Um, and I think we went to, we went because I think Rufus Rufus Wainwright was supposed to open, 
and he didn't, and that was also a bummer for Brandy. Um, David Gray was very good at the Fox as well. Uh, Paul McCartney in Atlanta saw Ben Folds five and Ben Folds, and then uh, I saw we saw Allison Krauss in Union Station in Atlanta and in Charleston, and both times those were outstanding, which would have mm-hmm. I would have put them very very high on my list of concerts I've ever seen. Still are they're very very high. But it's the one in 2017 that I waited my whole life to see. And Def Leppard and Poison in Atlanta in 2017 by far trumps everything. Because Def Leppard played virtually all of Hysteria. Everything I wanted to hear off of Pyromania, Photograph, Full In, Rock of Ages, you know, the, Off a of High and Dry, Bringing in the Heartache. They just, Def Leppard played every song, Promises, every song I wanted to hear, Def Leppard played. And then before them is Poison which plays every Poison song I've ever wanted to hear. And there's no fluff or anything. And they just keep going from hit to hit to hit. And, and seeing those two bands together back-to-back, two bands I loved when I was a teenager, was, that was the best. And the good thing about uh, uh, Def Leppard is his voice is still what it was. You know, I, I think about one of, the, one of the things that I hate um, is that Steve Perry's voice went to crap. Yeah, because Journey was awesome, and I hate that he has not been able to maintain that 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 range, that just amazingness. And uh, Def Leppard, the lead singer, his name is escaping me right now. Joe Elliott. Joe Elliott. Yes, thank you. Um, his voice is still. I mean, you. I think right around the time we reconnected and started talking about this podcast, it was you that gave me the uh, him and Taylor Swift duet thing. Oh yeah, it was just great. And he was awesome. I mean, he, he that was studio sound in that production. Yeah. Um, and and that that to me is 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 amazing. You know, I'm I'm a big and I don't know how I don't know if we've ever gotten into Motown, but I'm a big Lionel Richie fan. Always have been. Because um, I kind of I kind of with my brother uh, and my sister especially the Commodores were were yeah. big. Oh yeah, I like and, Lionel Richie. And his his struggles with his voice in his later career have have it really sucked, you know, because in you know back we are the world and and that dancing on the ceiling and stuff that happened right then that was kind of his last big deal, yeah, you know, true. and uh, and he I feel like he still had so much more he could have done. Um, I feel I've got strong feelings about Tina Turner and what 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 the heck happened there, you know, and I don't know. I'm if not just, a huge Tina Turner fan. I, see, I, I love Tina. Um, but anyway, so uh, I go but back. I think, here's a cool thing about Def Leppard and Poison. When I, when I was there, and this had been five years ago now. So five years ago, Joe, Joe Elliott was 57. Five years ago, uh, Brett Michaels was 54. So at a time when we think about Paul McCartney and like the Rolling Stones, those guys in the late 70s, almost 80. Yeah. There's, there's still a lot left in in Def Leppard and Poison. Those guys, they weren't that, that's not that old. Well, I mean, I guess that depends on your perspective is, is, you know, but they, 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 didn't, they didn't sound like a bunch of mid 50 year olds up there. They sounded, they sounded and looked like guys who were just still out there having a great time. Well, in probably 2010 or 2011, I went to see Gordon Lightfoot. I like Gordon Lightfoot. 
and I love Gordon Lightfoot. I mean, I really do. But at Sundown, that time, you better take care. That time he was probably early seventies, and he probably shouldn't have been touring. And I came to find out later that he was mainly touring because he's got so much debt that he kind of has to. Um, so the carefree and, highway was just a big lie. Yes. Well, for Gordon, it was. It might not have been, you know, for <laughs> for some uh, fictitious character that he was singing about. But for Gordon, yes. Um, you know, he uh, he was probably more closer to the guy in the early morning rain. Uh, so, uh, the, the subject of early morning rain where he's stuck here on the ground as cold and drunk as he could be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, that was, that was disappointing because that was the only time I've ever seen him and ever will see him. Um, you know, cause now he's, if he's not 80, he's doggone close. And I would think he's eighties cause he was, when he first started, I don't know how much you know about Gordon Lightfoot, but if you listen to like his first couple of releases, he sounds like Marty Robbins because that's yeah. who his his uh, uh, muse was. And so he didn't find his own sound until probably his second album when he realized he didn't want to be another Marty Robbins because he wasn't really a country music singer. Or Marty Robbins probably could, probably, is probably more a Western music singer. Yeah, I um, agree. So, uh, based on his ornate jackets and yeah, yeah. So hair. anyway, um, yeah, so all of those are good. Uh, and, and I'm trying to think of what else I would want to say as far as who I've seen. I've seen the Ramones, which was a horrible concert. Um, they did the thing where, okay. So you remember talking about the monkeys and how you said they sang like 40 something songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Ramones did the same thing. You know, the Ramones have dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hits, uh, you know, for their genre of music, which is punk, thrash, whatever you want to call it. But so when they do a concert, they just do, it's basically they sing one song, but it's all of their songs crammed into that one song. Where it, because no Ramones song is more than three minutes. Right. Uh, so they sing all of their songs like nonstop, just moving from one into the next, into the next, into the next, into the next, and it's nonstop. And then they take a 15, 20 minute break and then they come out and they do it again. And I saw them in a place that is now defunct, which I, I think now it's a used car dealership. Uh, but it was called the Ritz and it was, it was both a cool venue and a scary venue. Um, the only other band that I saw there was Danzig. Do you know Danzig? Yeah. Yeah. Not my music, but I know. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the kind of place. Do you remember? You saw the Blues Brothers, the movie, right? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing the whole way through, but I well, know. So do you remember they go, into, they go into the Country Western Bar and they're in the, on the stage, which is behind Chicken Wire because yeah. they have to be protected from all the beer bottles that are thrown and smashed into the Chicken Wire? Right. Well, that's the way this club was. Okay. And it, I mean, and, it, and I, I, I literally mean that like the Ramones and uh, Danzig, they were behind, like, I don't know if it was chicken wire, but they were behind some sort of protective barrier because people would chuck stuff up there and there were like fights and probably stabbings and, you know, lots of things 
going on in this place. So it was, it was a kind of fear for your life kind of place. And, you know, walking around with uh, somebody like Donald Parker, who would get drunk and is liable to say anything to anybody at any point in time. Uh, <laughs> Donald Parker, who, who wore like khaki shorts and like combat boots or like brown, like with a black leather, like yeah. punk jacket. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so it was, you know, those were and Danzig was an awesome show. I mean, it really was, but it was all tainted by the fact that, are we going to get out of here alive? Um, I've seen a couple of shows in the House of Blues venues. What did you did you know Donald Parker only from from Rock Hill, or did you know him in Greenville? No, he wasn't from Greenville. Oh. He was from Batesburg, Leesville. Okay. So, um, so those were concerts in college, by the way. Um, the Ritz was in Charlotte, if I wasn't clear about that. Uh, so I also saw I, I've been to the House of Blues a couple times in Myrtle Beach and in Orlando. Um, Seen the cult there? I don't know. Do you know the cult? Are you familiar yeah, with the yeah, cult? Yeah, I had a friend in Athens who's huge into the cult. I love the cult. I've seen them probably five or six times. Wow. Uh, and uh, they, they always put on a great show, and they make witty comments in between their songs, which I always like, because uh, they're not, like, overly talkative, but they'll just say something like, <laughs> he comes out and he says, uh, somebody told us that we ought to be more philanthropic in what we're doing, so uh, everyone read more books <laughs> and then they start playing the next song. So it was cool. Uh, I think I mentioned, I saw the violent films. Uh, uh, that was, that was a pretty good show. They played, I saw them later, you know, like this was probably nineties, late nineties, you know, and I would put their heyday in the late eighties. Yeah. I'd say mid eighties almost. Yeah, yeah, uh, but clearly they were on Lollapalooza in '91, so they must have had some staying power. Oh yeah, no, um, they were still big. They, they were, I think that they were maybe '87, I guess. But by the late that. by the late '90s, you know, they became one of those bands who like, and this is one of the the phenomena the phenomenon that I, I like to associate with what you were describing with Poison and Def Leppard is so Violent Femmes didn't come trying to peddle new music. Right. They came and they played all their hits. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So added up, blister in the sun, those sorts of things. That's what they were doing. That's why I'd kind of love to see Driving and Crying now, uh, because they're not going to try to promote a new album. Uh, I've seen Widespread Panic a couple of times, um, and that's interesting. Cause, they you played, know, they, had... they were all, they were from Athens, so they were always at the Georgia Theater. Okay. Did you see them? I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, I saw Blues Traveler, which was pretty cool. Um, I just, I, I really came to, there was a time where I enjoyed Blues Traveler. MTV destroyed them too, but there was like this, in the mid nineties, it was like Blues Traveler, Spin Doctors, and Dave Matthews were just like this group that, those three just drove me insane. Like, I feel like that's a little bit insulting to Blues Traveler and Dave Matthews to throw the spin doctors in there with them. <laughs> that seems kind of cruel. Uh, but anyway, Beavis and Butthead would be very disappointed in you for that. <laughs> um, uh, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, that, gosh. Oh, I feel like I'm leaving out so, so very much. Sting. I saw Sting. 
Did I say that? No, you didn't say Sting. Sting was a good one, uh, and I wish I could remember who opened up for him because it was a pretty decent show, too. Sting sang a bunch of police songs, which I appreciated. I saw him on his very first studio album tour, The Dream of the Blue Turtles. So he was very fresh from the police, and so and he didn't have a lot of his own original material at that time. I, I'm, I'm surprised that so much of this conversation that we're having now in 2022, we never had in 1991-92. We never talked about concerts we'd seen. But it would, would have revealed a background in your taste of music that just was not apparent at that time. No, well, I mean... So here's the thing, is that when we were there, we were living in that moment. Now you and I have all of this to catch up on that we probably at that time thought we would have time to do. That's deep. I know, that's the psychologist in me. But I understand, like... so at that point in time, I wouldn't have listened to Sting because I was past that point. Um right. I would. Uh, I was. You made. Was, someone even made the comment. My roommate Derek had a sting poster hanging up. Maybe you were the one who made a comment about it. Yeah, probably so. Um, no, and, and not because I, see, I've never gone to so far as to uh, run down music that I had previously liked. Uh, I just moved on and then did different things, and that was the thing. And then it would come back around, you know. Mm. Um, and and there would be flashes where during you know the early to mid 90s and i was finishing up at winter that i would go through a phase where hey let's listen to some who for a little while and i loved the who when i was in elementary and middle school you know uh, but when i got into high school and and this i had a hard time with grunge i'll be honest with you um because i was i was always more the alternative guy i was more the the pixies and Ned's atomic dustbin and the church and uh, you know, the breeders. And then I was Nirvana, you know? And the first, uh, the first, anyone listening out there, if you're familiar with the breeders, the commercial success with uh divine hammer and uh, what's a uh, last cannonball. Don't, don't listen to that album. Go back and find the Breeders album called Pod. Yep. That they made in ninety one. That's good breeders. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. If you can find it, go and look for the silos. That's another good one. Maybe we should do that for a podcast. Recommendations of obscure bands and albums. It's not bad. I think, I think we're on to something here. <laughs> What's our time? Where are we at? We're at, we're way over. We're ten minutes over. We're at the seventy-one minute mark right now. Okay, so I think that we can call this subject done because, and and if I feel like I res, I'm going to go ahead and say I reserve the right that if I think of anything between now and the next cast, that I will bring it up as sort of an addendum to the cast, and we'll go from there. But that I'll run up by the a, sponsors and and see where that where brings we stand us. On that. A, of course, ladies and gentlemen, to our Mike Schmidt trivia question for the evening. Um, just, I, I don't know if you've heard from Mike or Donna yet, Steve. Um, it's funny, I, I listened to an interview, or I was listening to a Phillies spring training game, and Mike Schmidt was on there, and I was laughing. I was like, he mm -hmm. sounds like a nice guy, and I just called him a jerk on a podcast. So, uh, has Donna reached out by any chance? 
I have not heard back from Donna. Okay. I've heard from her lawyers, but not from. Okay. (laughs) Was it cease and desist? (laughs) At this point, I can't even comment. Okay. Let's just let's just say she's in with the folks at Fancy Feast and leave it at that. I'm not giving up. Fancy Feast, they know what they've done. They know what they've done. So here's our here's our Mike Schmidt trivia question for the evening. I'm ready. Pete Rose once said of Mike Schmidt, this is a fill-in-the-blank trivia question. Okay. To have his blank, I'd trade him mine and my wife's, and I'd throw in some cash. To have his blank, I'd trade him mine and my wife's, and I'd throw in some cash. I'm going to go mustache, but... He he threw in Pete Rose's wife's mustache. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I throw mine and my wife's in to have his house. No, to have his hair. I feel like that's three guesses now. You've done <laughs> mustache, house, and hair, so I'm going to say no. To have Mike Schmidt's body. Oh, I'd trade him mine and my wife's and I'd throw in some cash. Mike Schmidt, to his credit, has always been through, uh, always been supportive of Pete Rose and mm-hmm. always maybe times where he shouldn't have been, but always has acknowledged that Pete is the thing that got the Phillies over the hump in 1980 to win mm-hmm. the World Series and get him back again. I, I, think, I think we talked about this in the 80 World Series. I think Mike Schmidt was like one for 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, thought, I always thought it was cool that he always he didn't he always recognized Pete Rose when he would give a speech about when he was in the Hall of Fame when he was his numbers retired in Philadelphia which I was there that night um, mm-hmm. he always thanked Pete Rose mm-hmm. and Philadelphia fans love Pete Rose mm-hmm. yeah I love Pete Rose I mean he as a player some... as a player yeah. I, he's outstanding yeah. yeah yeah and it's a shame that Major League Baseball in all the other issues that have come through, uh, never found a way to either forgive Pete for his gambling stuff or I don't know. I, or at least conduct a further investigation. I don't yeah. even know if we want that, but it's just crazy that Major League Baseball, you know, doesn't have in the Hall of Fame the all time home run king, the all time hits king, or Roger Clemens. Mm. It just, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. But, you know, I'm, I'm also a little bit of a purist. And so I. I well, for Barry I, Bonds, I, I, can't, I can't get past the fact that his head grew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Several calf yeah. sizes. Something's off yes. there. Your head just doesn't yeah. grow like that naturally. Agreed. Agreed. I think, I think the growing of the head is where we sign off tonight. All right. So, uh, so from all of us to all of you, except for you folks at Fancy Feast. Because you, you know, know what you've done, you bastards. Yep. This is Scott and Steve signing off from the Leaving Nexus of Pop Culture. All right. We'll see you again in just a few weeks. Sounds good. All right. Bye.